You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview thought leaders on all topics related to middle market M&A. Our goal is to educate entrepreneurs on the process of selling a business, from planning to post-sale and everything in between. Make sure to visit us at divestopedia.com. To see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business at the best price and terms. And now here's your host, certified financial planner, student, entrepreneur, and private business expert, Josh Patrick. Hello. Today we have Noah Rosenfarb, CPA, ABVV, PFS, lots of fancy letters. And he's devoted his career to advising business owners on all things related to money. He's a tax, estate, financial planner for entrepreneurs. His firm, Freedom Business Advisors, provides middle market businesses, owners' guidance on how to successfully transition out of the management or ownership of their company. Mr. Rosenfarb is the author of Exit, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, and the upcoming book, 2020 Vision, Who's Going to Own Your Company? Hey, Noah, how are you today? I'm terrific, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks so much for uh, passing the torch on this show over to me. <laughs> you did a great job with it for uh, how many years were you doing the show? It must be about three years is my guess. And, uh, you know, it just came time. I'm writing this new book and I'm ingrained in the South Florida market. And I'm starting a new podcast for my local market called South Florida Entrepreneurs on Fire, where we're interviewing all the fastest growing entrepreneurs down here in Palm Beach, Broward and Miami-Dade County. Well, so, when do you think you're going to launch? We just released our first book and 30 interviews. It's up at eosoflow.com slash success stories and over on Amazon, uh, South Florida Entrepreneurs on Fire. It's a collection of 30 interviews that were done, not by me, but by another member of the Entrepreneurs Organization of South Florida, in which I'm a member. And so I'm doing it for that. It's a nonprofit where we have 160 members we're all owners of their own business that do a million or more in revenue, and we get together for learning events and then also a kind of a mastermind group, peer group facilitation that we do once a month. So tell me about this new book you're writing, or you're writing. When is it going to be coming out, first of all? Yeah, so uh, we're, uh, we, we've got the outline done. We've got a lot of the content done and certainly ideas ready. So I'm hoping for a release before the end of the year, kind of thinking about 2020 vision, thought the name might make sense given where we are in the timeline and history. But really the question for owners and the question that I think is the most important one that they need to answer is who's going to own their business in a few years. And based on their answer, they've got certain planning steps that they probably should engage in. Okay, so what kind of planning steps do you think they should engage in? Well, I would say that you know, it certainly depends on the answer. When I think of the answers, I really only think there's four options. You know, The first is nothing's going to change. The second might be I'm going to add my key employees or sell to my key employees. The third is I'm going to add family or sell to my family. And the fourth one is I'm going to sell to someone else. So I want to bring in a private equity firm or a strategic acquirer for all or part of the entity. And of course, there is a fifth option, which no one likes to consider, but it's the one that most businesses end up getting by default. And <laughs> that's liquid and that's liquidation. Right. Well, nobody plans for it, right? So. Uh, well, you know, some should, I think, but that's, you know, <laughs> it's the default option for folks who don't plan at all. So what kind right. of planning do you think is important for these folks to do to start off with? Well, maybe it'll be helpful if I kind of walk you through each individual, you know, based on their answer. And So we'll take the, the owner that doesn't think anything's going to change, that their ownership's going to yeah. be the same now as it will be in four or five years. 
And Mm -hmm. to me, the most important thing for that owner is to make sure that if they get hit by the proverbial bus, that the business is still going to survive. So if something happens to that owner, it's not just about who's going to own it. You know, a lot of owners I talk to, they say, you know, the business goes to my spouse or the business goes in a trust for the benefit of my spouse, my family. But that may be who's going to own it, but who's going to run it? And what's going to happen on Monday morning when the employees come in and find out that you're gone? You know, are they going to scurry off? Are they going to, you know, we think it's like, you know, the the herd gets spooked, you know, and and all of a sudden Monday morning, they're on the phone, the competitors are calling and, you know, the good people might start running away. So how do you prevent that? I think the most common strategy that we use is a retention bonus. So Mm -hmm. what we do most often, I'll tell you about a printer that we worked with. He was in his mid 60s, still plans to continue to own the company into his 70s. You know, obviously he's concerned. He goes and travels around the world a lot and he's on a lot of planes. And every time before he gets on, he's always wondering, am I going to make it back? And so what we did was we just looked at what his executive payroll was. And it was about, in this particular company, it was about $900,000 of executive payroll. And we said to him, look, if you want to get five years of term insurance for about $500,000, the cost was de minimis. Maybe it was four grand a year. And for four grand a year, he was able to set up this particular retention bonus pool, and he set it up so that his key executives would get a percentage of that bonus pool if they were to remain employed by the company at different target dates. And there was some subjectivity to it, so they had a it was discretionary on part of the owner, which would have been his wife had he passed away. But at least they knew there was money there to you know kind of socked away and ready to pay them if they stuck around through a transition. So um, how does he structure this thing? In what sense? Well, if he got hit by the bus, would they get a lump sum or do they get a piece of it as, as time or, you know, how does that retention bonus actually work? How does it get paid? Yeah, I would What I would are the mechanics depends, of doing it? It depends on the owner and what the owner's goals are. So we've seen certain owners that want to pay a retention bonus just the first 90 days. They want to pay a weekly bonus for the first 90 days. And that's because they already know and have communicated with their spouse who the right buyer is. And they have, in essence, kind of a buyer lined up. And they just want to make sure the business can continue for those 90 days while they could have a sale or a transfer take place. I have other owners who said, you know, I want my kids to be able to run it. You know, my kids are pretty young. They're, you know, late teenagers. They're coming to just coming into the business. They might need 10 years before they're ready. And so they might want a bigger pool of money to continue to have around just to make sure that that management team's there to coach and train the children until they're in a position where they could take over. So, yeah, it really depends on the owner and what their time frame is. And really, like I mentioned before, who's going to own it and who's going to run it and take a look at what would be required to meet those goals. This retention bonus, would it make sense also if uh, they have one of these in place if you're thinking about doing a third-party sale? It depends, right? Because if you're thinking of doing a third-party sale, you're probably going to want to dedicate resources to other places. Like maybe you're going to go from having reviewed financial statements to audited financial statements. And if the people that are listening or anything like me, the clients that they work with, the businesses that they own have limited resources. So we've got to decide how do we allocate our resources most effectively. And if we're planning to sell it, so let's take that's that fourth answer. Somebody who's planning to sell to a strategic acquirer or private equity firm, we're probably going to look to take our resources and do more value-added consulting with the company. How are we going to grow the value of the business the quickest? And a retention bonus 
probably wouldn't impact the value of the business to the buyer. So we're going to look for something that's really going to have an impact on value. Okay. Well, just give you a little aside. When I sold my vending company, I had a, a stay bonus and it impacted the value of my company significantly because we wanted to do a half a million dollar reduction because we didn't have uh, employment contracts. But, 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 but we do. <laughs> So in some in some cases it's really valuable. Well, for sure, having employment contracts and that, without a doubt, that's part of the value consulting. I'm not sure if uh, if you read my book, the last chapter is the 53 ways to increase the value of a company. We just go down Mm -hmm. a checklist of you know what can owners do to help increase the value of a company, and certainly retention bonuses are one of the high. Rather, uh, employment agreements are, are pretty high on the list. Okay. Why don't we take a little bit of a turn and look a bit at what kind of options should we have if we want to sell to our family and or key employees, you know, internal transactions? I think the biggest challenge that my clients face when they want to transfer to a key employee is that inevitably that employee doesn't have any money. And so the only way that that employee is going to be able to acquire an interest in this business is really if in some way it's given to them over time by the owner. And mm-hmm. and so what we look to do is figure out, well, how much time do we have? What are the cash flows of the company? How much can the owner afford to essentially grant to this employee? Usually there's a, you know, one of probably a handful of different ways that the transactions take place. But the key is having growth. Without growth, it's really hard to transfer a business to a key employee and get more value than if you just continue to own it yourself. And so we want to make sure that the the business is growing. We also want to make sure that the owner that enters into this agreement with their key employee still keeps their options open, meaning if they do want to add a family member later on or if they do decide to sell to a third party, that they're not locked in, you know, 7, 10, 12 years down the line being forced to sell their interest to this key employee. And then ideally, we want to be in a position where after the first tranche of equity gets transferred, the key employees in a position to take a bank loan to finance the purchase of the remaining shares. And that way, the owner gets their cash. They're not on the hook waiting for a long-term note payment from the buyer after they've already waited kind of seven years or 10 years to transition the beginning part of the equity. What kind of security arrangements do you recommend that owners use with their key employees before outside financing is brought in? I would say the first test is really kind of, is this key employee ready to be an entrepreneur? And maybe that's taking the question a little bit away from security, but it's, is this person ready to be an owner? And usually the test I use is, you know, are they and their spouse willing to sign essentially a second mortgage that their house is up for sale if they default on this note that you're entering into? And if they can't Mm -hmm. do that one, seemingly, you know, to me as an entrepreneur, they can't take that simple risk in a transaction that's essentially risk-free otherwise. They're probably not ripe for ownership. What else would you recommend that they do, if anything? Uh, so we do disk profiles. Just happens to be the profile test that my partner, Chris Reams, is real comfortable with. And so we'll do a disk profile on, on all the partners in a transaction. So making sure that the key employee and the owner both really do understand each other, understand how they think, and understand how they could work together and what challenges they might face. So I would say the combination of the owner already knowing that they want this person to take over, the employee being in a position where they're excited about the opportunity, taking a look at their personality profiles to make sure there's not some underlying issues that might 
come up once they uh, are in some fashion more peer-to-peer as opposed to boss-to-employee. And then the last bit, making sure that employee has an entrepreneurial risk profile. So can you explain what a disk profile is? Because I'm going to bet that very few listeners actually know. Yeah. I don't know what the D-I-S-N-C stand for. One's dominant. You know, I don't really know. But it's a, an assessment to understand people's personality traits. And if you type uh, D-I-S-C into Google, you'll probably get a whole bunch of literature that'll be more eloquent than me. How do you use the disk profile when you're working with it? We have the clients take the assessment. The assessment is a, a tool. Usually it's administered by from some professional organization. So we work with an organization that I think is based in Arizona. They mm-hmm. administer the assessment. They give us a summary of the results with an interpretation. And then we take that interpretation and, and come back to the clients and make sure that they agree with the assessment, that they can see themselves you know, reflected in the assessment, and then how that might impact their working relationship. So if you have you know, a high D and a low D, how does that work together? And again, that's not really my area of expertise. My partner is uh, an expert in that. Okay, great. So let's take a little another move and let's talk about families uh, selling or transferring a business to a family member. Yeah, most of the clients that I interact with, when they want to transfer to family, they're not thinking about price. And so if they're not looking to get the most value from that family member, what we really have to look at is what are the financial needs of the owner and Mm -hmm. how are those financial needs going to get met? Okay. And what are some of the solutions that you come up with? I think the, the first is figuring out, well, how much money do they need from this business? I've had the good fortune of working with clients who were able to transfer their business to their children, and they didn't need any cash flow from the business. And so we were just looking for how do we substantiate for the IRS and for state tax purposes, the lowest possible valuation so that we could transfer it to the kids with the lowest amount of cash coming back to the owners. But on the flip mm-hmm. side, there's lots of families I've worked with where mom and dad have spent 30 years busting their butt, building a business, and they've made a good living. They've saved some money. They put their kids through college. And now the kids are in the business and they want to transfer ownership, but they still need the value of the company in order to retire. And we've got to look at what risks are they willing to take to transfer the business to family and essentially rely on the cash flows of the company, even though they may not be there. So again, it runs the gamut between an outright sale of stock that's usually going into some vehicle that's going to be discounted for estate tax purposes and to the next generation to really fair market value that parents need and the children really are just the best buyers for whatever reasons. You know, let's assume that the family has no financial need, you know, the senior generation from the business. Do you have any thoughts on whether it's better to sell the business to the kids or give the business to the kids? What tends to make a more successful family transition? Great question. So I think there's two parts of it. You know, we can look at the numbers and just from a purely financial perspective, if we add the the wealth generated by the first generation, the second generation, the third generation, you know, net of taxes, what's the best financial outcome? That's one answer to the question. But I think, you know, knowing you and knowing the type of work that we both want to do with clients, I think the better way to approach the question is what what makes for happier, healthier families that have more you know, success in the truest sense of the word, not just financial. Is that that right? That's certainly right. I have my own views on this, but I'm really curious about yours. 
So I think it really depends on the families, the values that the families laid out for the children and, you know, for themselves, how they live their values. And it's not so much that the structure is going to impact the future success. But all that being said, I think the children that pay for the business tend to have a greater sense of responsibility, a greater sense of uh, value of the business itself, a greater value to what mom and dad have created than those that are handed it on a silver platter. And again, it could be values driven. So I don't know which is the chicken and which is the egg there. I think more families where there's an emphasis on uh, recognition for what's been created or what's been done and less of a sense of entitlement, those values tend to breed more happiness and success than the other way around. I think Tom Deans and I would both definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, how do you get kids ready to take over the business? So there's, again, kind of two sides to the coin. One is the leadership responsibility and the other is like the technical responsibility. So on the technical training side, most of the families that I work with, I'm encouraging them to have their children network with other children of other owners. So I kind of grew up in a family business in New Jersey, was fortunate enough that Fairleigh Dickinson University had a family business forum. I was able to go there meet with a bunch of peers, other people who were in family businesses who weren't owners, talk to them about the common issues that we face, and really prepare me for the leadership side and the transition side, you know, outside of the technical piece. And then inside the business, you know, I had to grow up and my family business was an accounting firm. And so I had to learn how to manage and, and run an accounting firm. Now, I never took over that business. I encouraged my father to sell it to a third party, which he did. And I went on and started another business. And so I, I encourage my clients to do the same thing, to educate their kids both technically and in the leadership qualities and figure out if they're not capable of leading the company, then I never recommend that they transfer leadership responsibilities to their children. But I, I don't mind and I advocate that ownership and leadership can be segregated. So you can have family members that own part of a company and have no leadership in the company. As long as the company can segregate ownership responsibilities from employment responsibilities. Makes sense. So we only have a couple of minutes left. When you're thinking about this entire process of transferring ownership of a business, especially on a sustainable basis, what's your final advice that you would give to our listeners? If you want to transfer ownership on a sustainable basis, I think mm -hmm. uh, you've got to create a culture in your company that creates uh, revenue and profits on a, in a sustainable way. And it's much less about the ownership. It's much less about who's going to run the company, who's going to own the company, and more about how, how do we have a, a brand value in the marketplace? How do our customers get served? And what are our processes around making sure that we've got you know, raving fans for uh, a quote of some book that I know I read at one point. So it's probably a better idea to do the stuff you just talked about before you really think about selling your business. Well, no doubt about it. I, you know, I mean, I think that's the, the reason I started the show and the reason I wrote the book and the reason that, you know, so many of the people that I speak to are in this field is because we've seen the devastation that happens with business owner families when they don't plan in advance. And, you know, there's just, it's really a tragedy. And so I think 
the, the planning community, we're all here to support these owners in reaching their goals. And, uh, you know, the first thing is they got to know what they want. And if they know what they want, we'll help them get there. That's great. So, Noah, I'm sure that there's going to be people here who want to contact you. How would they go about doing that? I would say if you want to preview a copy of my book, send me an email, noah at freedomadv.com. And uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Noah Rosenfarb. Or you could visit my website, freedomadv.com. Cool. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I think we got some great information for our listeners. Great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. If you have any questions on today's podcast, you can contact our host, Josh Patrick, at 802-846-1264, extension 2, or send an email to jpatrick at stage2solution.com. Until next time, this is Divestopedia Exit Strategy.